Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.info. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. Well, as James prayed, things in life really are uncertain, aren't they? It leaves us concerned about uh, what tomorrow will bring, uh, how bad uh, COVID will get again this fall, uh, how high gas will go, uh, will I be able to afford a house? The way things are going, will I have a job tomorrow? Will there be war breaking out again in the uh, Middle East? Problems with, it seems, other countries as well. How does, a, how does a follower of Jesus plan in such a precarious future? We recall the words of Jesus he spoke on his Sermon on the Mount when he said, don't worry about tomorrow. And goes on to explain that God, God will provide for you. But Jesus did not mean we shouldn't have any thoughts about the future or make no plans for tomorrow. In fact, Jesus, as we study his life, we see he planned for the future. He made advanced provisions for this meal we just uh, read about in the upper room with all of his disciples gathered there. That didn't just happen. Somebody had to plan that out. He did that. He provided for his mother before he died. You may remember that story. He informed his disciples that he was going to be crucified, and he told them where they could meet him after the resurrection. And then he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait, where they would be given the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus planned for the future. Uh, he also told one of his parables, suppose somebody wants to build a tower, don't they first sit down and, and estimate how much it's going to cost? So, it's not an unreasonable thing. A popular slogan in investment circles is, people don't, people don't plan to fail, they just fa- fail to plan. And we... We resemble that sometimes, don't we? Well, we should plan ahead, and we should plan with wisdom so that we might be able to live, as we've sang this morning, uh, victoriously and and be able to face the future with confidence. But we need to plan the right way. That's where James comes in in the fourth chapter this morning, beginning in verse 13, where James shares with us just a wealth of information, uh, and I'm going to break it down into four principles this morning, that we might have confidence going forward. The first thing he talks about is acknowledging the sovereignty of God over life. James 4, verse 15. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. It shines light on the fact that there are really two views, viewpoints on life. One is the follower of Jesus who declares that God is my creator. I'm not here by accident. I'm here by design. And God is my savior. And even though I have violated his standards, he came to earth in human form, his son, Jesus, and died for me, as we've just remembered. And God is sovereign. He is Lord over my life. He defines my behavior. He directs my steps as I go forward. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it as he, 
as he spoke in Acts 17, God himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He determines the time set for men and nations and the exact places where we should live. In him, we live and move and have our being. You know, a young man understands if he accepts a scholarship at Texas Tech to play football, that he might need to call home and tell his mother, I'll be home at Thanksgiving if Coach Wells gives us a couple days off, right? That happens every year. He has to acknowledge the fact that the coach has some authority over his life during football season in order to retain his scholarship. We rejoice in the baptisms we just saw, as we always do, and it reminds us that when we are baptized, we turn our lives over to Jesus. We accept His grace, not only as Savior, but also as our Lord, which means we turn our lives over to Him. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, God works out everything in conformity to the purpose of His will. So we're dependent upon God for everything. And that's how, if we're going to follow Jesus, we view life. But there's another view, and it's the world view, which we live in the midst of, where human pride swells up and says, uh, I don't want anybody dictating my behavior. Stubbornly says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I don't need God. I don't know that there is a God. Maybe I'm here by accident. I can make my own decisions. I can make up my own rules. I can be the master of my own fate. It's just a matter of the will, right? If I want it bad enough. Well, those are the people James speaks about when he says they plan their future without any mention of God in verse 13, who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town, we'll stay there a year, we'll do business, and we'll make a profit. We're going to go to Rome, we're going to open up a restaurant, we're going to make money, maybe, maybe 50,000 profit the first year. And we hear those kinds of conversations all the time. The problem is there's no submission to God, there's no admission of God's sovereignty over the future. It's, it's more the attitude than it is the words, it's an attitude of complete self-reliance and, and arrogance. The idea of failure, the idea of recession, of depression, the idea of war, the idea of a heart attack, the idea of cancer, the idea of breach of contract never enters our minds. If you were in the adult Bible classes last week, looked at the prophet Micah, who reminds us that our responsibility is to walk humbly with our God. But these people, James speaks of, walk proudly without God. Just the opposite. So James says, when you're planning for tomorrow, when you're planning for next year, acknowledge that God is in control of your life. What you ought to say, verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. That's a a phrase Paul uses a number of times. He promised the church in Ephesus, I will come back if it is the Lord's will. You know, this is, this is a spirit of submission more than it is a trite expression. I think it's good to say on occasion, Lord, if I'll do this if the Lord wills, but it can be overused. It can become something that loses meaning and 
becomes absurd. If John Paul got up here and said, hey, we're going to sing, we're going to sing all the verses of these songs of the Lord wills, that'd be a little crazy, Paul, John. If I got up and said, you know, I've got three points this morning, if the Lord wills. Or if you pull into the gas station and you say, I'm going to fill her up if the Lord wills. You pull into Sonic or maybe into Hef's and you say, I'll have a burger, fries, and a Coke if the Lord wills. That's, that's a little overboard. Uh, James is not suggesting that we just put this term in our uh, uh, vocabulary and we just use it continually. He's not talking about this constant verbalization of the, uh, verbalization of the phrase, but rather a continual awareness of the truth that God is sovereign. God is reigning. God has authority over my life. In Him, I live and move and have my being. He wants us to acknowledge that in some way. And you know what happens when we do, right? It allows a certain kind of calming of anxiety in our life. You don't have to panic so when the future is uncertain because you know that in all things God is working for the good of those who love Him. And you might be able to roll with the punches a little better, and even though you're not aware of what the future holds, as the song we sang just said, God holds the future, and we know Him. Well, secondly, if we're going to plan wisely for tomorrow, we have to make a realistic appraisal of what life really is. He says in verse 14, what is your life? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, and then vanishes, right? Or your, your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, some of the things I'm fixing to say may be depressing, okay? So I'm sorry, <clears throat> but, but uh, this, is, this is true. Some realistic facts about, about life that we need, to, uh, we need to face. The first thing is that life is brief. We appear for a little while, and then vanish. We're here a little while and then we're gone. James uses that word mist or fog, something that doesn't hang around very long. You ever watch the steam coming off your morning cup of coffee? Not sure how you are in the morning, but sometimes you get that first cup of coffee and you sit down and the the best thing you can do is just stare at that cup and watch the steam kind of lift off of there, right? That's an exciting start to the day. So I'm challenging you maybe to count how long does it take that wisp of steam before, before it's gone? You know what, two, three, four seconds maybe? James says that's how long your life is in comparison with eternity. Not very long. Psalm 90, which is a psalm for another sermon. I'm giving you fair warning someday. But Psalm 90 verse 10 says, Our days may come... To 70 years or 80, if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Now, with modern medicine and exercise programs and such, we're, we're amazed, I'm amazed, right, that that's still pretty, a pretty accurate assessment of the length of life. Now, I know Louise Griffin hit 99 this past week, and that's great. We rejoice, and she's moving towards triple digits, but she's an exception, which means that, that you have spent about a quarter to a third of your, 
if you're out of your teen years, you spent a quarter or a third of your life already. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There's a purpose in it. So I was born in 1957. And if I live to be 70, then I'll die in 2027. If I live to be 80, I'll die in 2037. You say, Jim, that's morbid. That's not morbid. It's just reality. Now, I have to tell you, I think of myself as middle-aged. I'm a middle-aged guy. I'm 64. You guys need to work. Keep it up, Louise, because a bunch of you got to live to 128 for me to be middle-aged. So, <laughs> Not many of you are going to make it. So in reality, here's reality, I'm on the downhill run. I recognize that. If I live to be 70, I've got six more Thanksgiving dinners to enjoy. If 80, I get to enjoy 16 more Christmases. If I retire at 65, I only have eight more months of elders meetings. <laughs> Teach us. To number our days. You ever notice the older you get, the faster time seems to go, doesn't it? You ever? I like the bumper sticker. In fact, this is my new motto. Life is short. Eat dessert first. Pie, particularly. Life is brief. That's truth. It's just truth. And life is uncertain. James says, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow guy stood at at the gates of heaven an angel was there and he looked at the guy and said uh, can you tell me if there was ever a time in your life a moment in your life when maybe you acted unselfishly you thought about somebody else instead of yourself and the man said well it was that one time he said when a big mean guy was beating up on this lady and I ran over and just punched him in the gut and the woman got away and the angel said, oh, that's good. When was that? He said, about two or three minutes ago. <laughs> even if you do good things, even if you live a good life, even if, even if all of your life goes well, you have no assurance you're going to live to 70 or 80. I'm, I may die at 64. Be careful. James reminds us, be careful about planning for tomorrow because tomorrow might be very different than today. Life is brief. Life is uncertain. And here's the truth. Life is insignificant without God. It's like a mist. It's like a vapor. It's like fog. Now, fog, particularly in West Texas, may create a little commotion, may create a little attention. It may even put it on the news. Hey, look, we got fog today. It may be inconvenient if you're out trying to drive on the highway, but you know, pretty quickly it's forgotten. We talk about the, we may talk about the 1937 flood or the 1970 tornado, the, the Chicago fire or maybe the Hurricane Katrina. Nobody ever talks about the 62 fog or the Woodrow vapor. In all honesty, a life without God doesn't count for much. In fact, it's amazing sometimes how quickly people recover 
when somebody dies, with the exception of close family, the grieving process can seem fairly quick. Life goes on, we think we carry a lot of influence, but in reality, when we're gone, it's kind of like the guy who stuck his, you know, his fist in the bucket of water and then pulled it out and stirred the water a little bit, but pretty soon everything was like it always had been. Fifty years from now, your grandchildren or great-grandchildren may drive past this building and say, isn't that where our grandparents used to go to church? Yeah, I think that's right. What was that preacher's name? I don't know, Bob? No. Sam? No. Jim? No. Nah. You want to you find out? No. Nah. Who cares? Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you glad you came this morning? <laughs> Amen. It just boosts your spirit. But that's the truth. And here's the good news, by the way. Your life is incredibly significant with God. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God cares for you so much. He knows the number of hairs on your head. The creator of the universe knows your name, and he doesn't forget it. He makes eternal provision for you to live with him in eternity. And he has said that nothing done in his name will go unnoticed. He will reward you. In reality, our lives are significant only when they're connected to him. Well, next, to plan wisely for the future, we've got to focus our priorities on the spiritual as opposed to the material. James talks about those making these big plans to go and do business, make money, make a profit. I mean, that's the primary goal in our world, isn't it? Get a good education so you can get a good job, so you make good money, so you can have a good life. That's the American dream. That's the, uh, right, that's the capitalistic way. We, we've had it drilled in us so long that if somebody ever deviates away from that, we think they're nuts. And yet the challenge in following Jesus is to look deeper than just possessions and accomplishments. I love the story about the Harvard, Harvard student body who, uh, if you follow Harvard's football team, it does a lot of this. It stays down here a lot. And so they have a chant that they like to, to yell whenever they get behind. It goes like this, that's all right, that's okay. You're going to work for us someday. <laughs> you got to admire that fact that they were trying to look beyond the football game, right, to the rest of life. And it's our job to look beyond not just the football game, but beyond the business world to our eternity. And when things aren't going well, when things aren't going right, when it's not like we had hoped and planned, we can say, that's all right, that's okay, I'm going to live forever someday. It was Jesus who said, life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. Life is not measured by how much you own. And I challenge us today to, to think about what you're doing with your life. Jesus told us, store up, your treasures, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Be rich toward God. And you suddenly find time, you suddenly find time to to worship. You find time to spend with your family, time to read scripture. You don't let the tyranny of the urgent push aside matters of eternity. When you place priority on the spiritual, you find yourself becoming generous because it's actually more fun to give than it is to get. 
You find yourself putting more emphasis on relationships because you realize those are the things that last, not, not things. And you become more interested in serving God than impressing people. So as you plan for the future, celebrate every day to the fullest. Don't get so involved in planning for tomorrow you fail to appreciate today. What is your life? Two enemies of life. One's yesterday and the other's t- tomorrow. Some, some of us live in yesterday with guilt and shame or maybe sweet memories and nostalgia of the past. Others of us live in tomorrow. We're so focused on the future, we never really enjoy the present. We're preoccupied with tomorrow. One study asked 3,000 people, what do you have to live for? And they were shocked when 94% of the people said, we're really just enduring the present, waiting for something exciting to happen tomorrow. I call out uh, uh, Mickey Cole and and Sandra, as uh, during this whole time when, uh, when things could have been just shut down with them, they got out and lived life. I think they were careful, but they lived life. They looked at today. Celebrate today. We're going to enjoy life someday. Well, we're going to enjoy life when things get a little more secure. Well, when we get our problem solved, when life is perfect, we'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, you know where that starts? That starts, I think, about age four. You ask a four-year-old, how old are you? And they'll tell you, four and a half. I can't wait to be five. Five-year-olds, five and a half, can't wait to be six. It just, it just keeps on going. I can't wait to get to middle school. I can't wait to get to high school. I can't wait to get my driver's license. I can't wait to, to get to college, to graduate. I just can't wait. I just can't wait. Now, we adults don't do much better. We can't wait till we get vacation. We can't wait till I get to retire. I can't wait until we get to... And we end up spending the rest of our life remembering (laughs) the good old days. (laughs) I can't wait till the sermon's over, but here we are. (laughs) Amen. Somebody said if we would eliminate all of life that we wished away, we'd live about a month. We mistakenly believe that life, is what, life happens in, in dramatic things, and yet most of life is made up of ordinary things. And we're silly to waste away the 99.9% of the ordinary waiting for the one-tenth of one percent. That's super exciting. I think the Lord would have us learn to appreciate the present moment, to say with the psalmist, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We don't have a guarantee for tomorrow, so live today, this moment, to the fullest. And the best plan for the future? Well, the best plan is to live for Jesus today. And you can rejoice because God loves you, and Jesus died for you, and was resurrected alive to empower you and me to live in this life the best we can and live forever with Him. If you need to know more about this, we would love to to talk with you. If you need to take a next step in that, we would love to help you do that. But this is the day the Lord has made, so let us stand together and rejoice in song. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.info. There you'll find event calendars, important announcements, ways to give, and to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.